Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. We're your host over there is Mr. Two Frames. Howdy. I'm the L Train, it's episode 92. Mm-hmm. 92. Of the Laugh Podcast. We're going to examine the film Bone Tomahawk today. It's What's a, this film about? It's a great film. It's a Western. It's being marketed as. Uh, four men set out in the Wild West to rescue a group of captives from cannibalistic cave dwellers. So it's your standard Western. Standard Western. Troglodytes. Troglodytes. Uh, it's kind of in keeping with the searchers or even the missing. Okay. Uh, inspired by, possibly, we could say. We're making a five day journey in three days, riding long and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody. Don't be scared. I am a friend. You aren't. Damn you! You had no cause. If you want to question my morals, do it later. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive. Directed it. Craig Zoller is a a novelist of sorts. He writes Western novels and screenplays. He works as a cinematographer, but this is his first film. Sher- uh, Kurt Russell is Sheriff Franklin Hunt. Uh, Lily Simmons stars as Samantha O'Dwyer, and her husband is played by Patrick Wilson. It's got Richard Jenkins in it as the old timer Chickory and Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox. He was probably for me the best part of the of the movie, and he was probably a new discovery for you, right? Because you yeah. never watched uh, Lost. No, I kept watching. I was mesmerized by his character, and I kept looking at on the screen like, "Who is this guy? Yeah, who is that guy?" I felt like uh, Butch Cassidy. Yeah, no, he, he's who really good. Guy? The director had talked about he had watched Lost, and he really liked that Matthew Fox had such a great idea and presence. Uh, of his character that he played, even though I think something like there were 13 different directors on the TV show, dozens of different writers, but yet Matthew Fox kept this character who was really the conduit for the uh, watcher mm-hmm. for the entire series. The no, show I, begins I, I and ends about... on Matthew Fox. Oh, really? I know yeah. nothing about Lost at all. I knew nothing about Matthew Fox. I know nothing about Craig Zoller, but both of these guys are really well respected in their uh, in the creative community that is independent filmmaking. This is definitely an independent film, made for what one point eight million dollars was the budget, just yeah. pretty low, pretty low. And I think uh, every single penny I see on the screen I was mesmerized by this movie. Yeah, one point eight million, twenty one day shoot. I mean, you had to be pretty frugal. It's a pretty uh, limited release, right? Yes. I think mostly video on demand is going to be the only way for our audience to go watch it. That's where I saw it, and it was the it may have been the best movie going experience I've had this year. <laughs> and I didn't go anywhere. You didn't have to deal with crowds. Uh, no, just the movie itself. 
I haven't been this jazzed up about a movie since uh, Blue Ruin, which was in last year, like March of last year, I think. Or maybe two years ago. I don't know. Uh, Sicario is close. This movie is near the top of, of movies I've seen probably in the last 10 years. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. The movie pulls no punches. And uh, although we're abducted by its presentation, uh, I was immersed in the world it created while I was accepting of the flaws that it it had, you know, the inherent flaws of a independent film on a low budget. And there are also some, I mean, it's an imperfect movie mm-hmm. at best. I'm still wrestling with the questions that it asks, but I'm, I'm really satisfied with the experience that it gave me. I think it surpasses the best movies I've seen in a while for a lot of reasons, but what I'd like to know most if it had the same effect on you or a similar effect on you, and if so, why or why not? Yeah, this movie pulled me in. Uh, in general, the things that are going to pull me in and the director's voices that I want to hear are the ones that are filled with witty banter, whether it's a, a Tarantino or Coen Brothers. Uh, that's what I, that's what I look for in movies. I feel like if you can capture dialogue, make it come alive, make characters uh, not only be interesting in the things they do on screen, but also the things they say where I want to hear more of what they think about life, what they're feeling, what they're going through then a movie's going to work, and these characters are all interesting. I don't think there was a single character that I was bored by and you know couldn't wait for them to get off screen. Kurt Russell has uh, an incredible presence, and he probably does more acting when he's not talking than most actors do when they have a whole monologue. There's some also tertiary actors that play key roles, especially the, the first two actors that sort of start off the film in the cold open. They... Don't figure, I mean, I, I don't know how much more we see of them after the first 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, I'm sort of setting up the MacGuffin, but I thought that they were really good. Like, David Arquette plays uh, Purvis, mm-hmm. and without him, we wouldn't have much of a plot at all. But also, uh, Sid Haig. I like that guy. buddy. Yeah. I, I always liked him in the Rob Zombie horror films, like uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. The haunted World of Super El Bisto. My favorite Rob Zombie cartoon. <laughs> he's a. Uh, I thought he was African American. He actually turns out he's Armenian. <laughs> I don't think that there were many Armenians in uh, the Old West. Probably not. And then w- he may have been representative of the only uh, foreign Armenian or foreign-born Armenian individual in the Old West. I don't even know if he's playing an Armenian in the film. It's just he has a he has a really strange look. Obviously, and this is why Rob Zombie counts on him for a lot of his. Uh, his movies is sort of, I don't know. Well, and he also has Horrific a movies. humor to his menace. He really does seem like someone you don't want to cross, but at the same time, he's funny when you have the distance of the fourth wall of the screen protecting you from him. And it's that weird humor that exists in that in those dark places mm-hmm. that uh, I, sometimes you feel a little bit embarrassed about laughing. You're not embarrassed, but maybe you should feel a little bit of shame you're laughing at people while they're slitting the throats of sleeping people <laughs> and those kinds of things or while they're running uh, from menacing monsters but for whatever reason the dialogue works and the pacing and it's all set up right before even the, I think it's the pre-title sequence and then there's the title sequence that follows um, so the movie is set up by I guess the Purvis character stumbles upon something that he shouldn't and the troglodytes of the film sort of want their revenge Mm -hmm. and they begin to take it out on uh on him and then there's some people that get caught in the 
the trap that they ensnare, I suppose, is the best way to put it. And these four men um, of very disparate characteristics, the, the sheriff, his helper, played by Richard Jenkins, um, sheriff played by Kurt Russell, and then uh, O'Dwyer, who is, I suppose you would say he's the hero of the movie. He's the one that has the most at stake because mm-hmm. his wife is uh, played by Lily Taylor, gets abducted. And um, this Matthew Fox character, who plays Bruder, I suppose that's like spot on naming conventions for a, a Western character. But uh, those four men go off into uh, the desert or into the mountains. I think it's set in Colorado. Yeah, I wasn't real sure. Somewhere. It's weird. I guess it's not too far west because apparently there's a cattle herd that goes on, and that's why this town is mostly empty this time of year and why. Patrick Wilson is stuck at home. He has a broken leg, and when we first meet him, and it's not too far north, I suppose, because Mexicans play a part in the role. I mean, in the movie. So there's this weird. It's it's this weird nether region of just west, which is what I like. You know, an undisclosed location in the west at an undisclosed time. I mean, this could be anywhere from what 1860 to maybe. 1900? Yeah, it's right around that turn of the century. I think uh, Kurt Russell said it was set in 1897 in an interview in Esquire magazine. He says it's just, uh, that's it's some weird little town in 1897. It's just out there where nobody knows where everything really is. So um, he feels that it's a pretty accurate portrayal of the way things existed. Uh, I'm not sure if that holds up for the entire movie. Hopefully not. (laughs) Uh, in terms of its accuracy, but uh, there were several things that I enjoyed about the movie, not least of which is the acting and the characters. But I think that that's a a function of its being a Western movie. Like, I'm sort of given towards Westerns because there's a whole lot of uh, expectations that you have and a lot of knowledge, pre-existing knowledge, that you can bring to the movie and uh, you don't you can fill in a lot of the spaces and the screenwriter doesn't necessarily have to do that for you. So working on tropes and archetypes of Westerns, this movie allows me just to like kind of lay back and experience it, but it was continually surprising. It was constantly subverting expectations that were set up, and just I, I had no idea, like with Blue Ruin or movies that I like, like Sicario from this year, uh, I had really no idea where it was going, and that's what I kind of hate about movies is when they're telegraphed or when I when I have a, a pretty good idea of where it's headed and it goes there. This movie, I wasn't I wasn't sure where it was headed, and once it got there, I was like I was continually shocked and surprised, and it was that was I think what transcended it over other movies I've uh, seen. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that in general, I like movies that are unexpected, but I don't always think it's bad when you know where a movie's going. The other thing that I really like, and you kind of hit on it, was the tropes that are in this film. Clearly, this director has watched a lot of Westerns, and the nice thing is, I feel like he's watched a lot of the same Westerns that we have. So it's almost like we've had this common experience that he's pulling from and that we can relate to. One of the problems a lot of times when we read literature is I have no idea what the author was influenced by, and it's hard to go back and experience whatever was popular 50, 60, 100 years ago. Right. With film, since it's more current and it's much easier to access a 50-year-old Western starring John Wayne, 
we can have that mutual experience. And so it pays off, you know. So, yeah, we know what should be coming uh, and whether there are any um, false moves in the film. I think Dynamite plays a key role in this movie, for example. Right. And, 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 that, and that plays with expectations. A few weeks ago, we did a show on Modern Westerns and the Laugh Podcast, and they, we, they were all produced after 1995. If, if I had, back at that time, I mentioned that this movie was in the offing somewhere. I think it had already been filmed, and it wasn't yet uh, out for distribution. But the fact that Kurt Russell was in it <clears throat> made me really want to see it. I think it might be near the top of those. I, I might have to revise that list, go back and revise that list of top Westerns. Kurt Russell is really strong in this film, and Russell's one of those actors who bridges a gap between generations. He's 62, I think. They look, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, didn't I mean, know. It, it, I read that he's only like four years younger than Richard Jenkins, who's kind of the old man right. who's who has lost most of his edge. He's, 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 an, yeah, he's playing an older man. But he's Kurt Russell, it, he, he's older but still very wise and still very capable. And, and Russell comes from a different generation of cinema, and he has a certain gravitas. I mean, there are moments where he just stares down other characters right. and then orders them around very quietly. And it's not menacing, but you're not going to argue with Well, them. talking about those modern Westerns, we had to leave off Tombstone mm -hmm. because it, it didn't fit in our parameters. So to be able to put Kurt Russell back in here as a actor in a Western movie or back on my list in my pantheon is really satisfying. And I, I, I think that the other people on the shoot or involved in this movie realize that what a treasure he was as a, uh, a resource because mm -hmm. they deferred to him on a lot of questions that they had. I think he wrote um, an introduction or a blurb for one of Craig Zoller's uh, Western novels. He's got, I think, 27 films, or tw 20 to 25 films that are in um, development hell. Uh, one of them was on the blacklist. It's called The Brigands of Battleborge, or Rattleborge, and uh, Blacklist is a listing of movies that are top screenplays that have yet to be produced, and this, this movie is still not produced. Again, he sold all these movies off his spec scripts, and I think he just kind of got sick of waiting around and said, all right, let me go do this movie. He had to get these top flight actors involved, and they were all committed to his vision. Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing that I really appreciate about the movie is a group of people coming together to create a work of art, sort of similar to this, these four men coming together on their journey So uh, in the movie. But they actually are on a journey of their own trying to produce the best film that they can and get the best product out there and communicate this guy's vision. And I was just, I was, like I said, I was taken with it. Yeah, no, I, I think the guy definitely has a unique voice. One of the reasons why I feel his movies aren't getting produced, or at least his scripts aren't, is because while they read great and they're very interesting, the tone on some of these is really difficult. And if there are any flaws with this film... It's in the tonal shifts. Sometimes they're a bit abrupt. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that all audiences will be willing to go on that journey. For me, I'd already bought into the film, and I'm perfectly fine when it uh, becomes a little more violent. Okay. You know, I, that, that doesn't put me off. 
for other people, the right. level of violence in this film will put them off. This is a hard R. Well, it, film. It, it loses some verisimilitude mm-hmm. because uh, you have to, in order to go as far as he wants to go and present that sort of savagery, uh, I think Zoller has to become more surrealistic. And that surrealism is not, I don't know, it, it just seems out of place, like you said. Mm-hmm. But this movie, those those lapses or those those jumps in tone work better for me than the movie that we reviewed last week, Crimson Peak, which I don't think that there was as much distance between the gothic romance and the ghost story. So tonally, there weren't big shifts going on. It was just a confusing movie because it seemed like the ghosts or the love story was sort of superfluous. In this movie, the the hyper um, violence and the intense, over the top situations are they're necessary. They're necessary for explaining or for uh, presenting the story, presenting the theme. So I don't know. I was just willing to. It's like Pack Rim when I was watching Pack Rim. I was able to just like lean back and just enjoy it. Usually with movies, I'm not like that. Usually I, I, I have a much more cynical eye, but not for this one. It's really good. I, <laughs> I remember um, John Cunningham, the guy that we interviewed for uh-huh. the short films. It reminded me at times of his little short film, Asylum, which he did. He's sort of a goof. So I sent, I tweeted him out a message asking him to watch it because I want to get the Brit's perspective on a Western movie because I don't know if there's a... There's a there's a mentality to Western movies, which are reflective of, uh, you know, I think a male version of the world, mm-hmm. and I, I'm just wondering if the Brits or a British representative would have the same perspective or point of view, or they probably wouldn't. But I'd what like did to know he what say? He, he hasn't he hasn't written back yet. You know I told him if he doesn't like the movie, I'll have to give him his money back. You know who did reach back to us no. after? Uh, he was emailed by the show about how great his film was. The director of this film, Craig Zoller. Oh, really? Yeah, I emailed him and I said, you know, I really enjoyed your film and that we do this podcast. And while it's always great when we talk about big budget films and major releases, one of the things I really like is when you can tell someone, go watch this film and they have no idea. They've never heard about it. This movie has not gotten any real mainstream publicity and promotion. Unless you're on the internet at movie websites, you probably haven't heard about this mm-hmm. film. So I'm looking forward to going and being able to share this movie with people and telling them, go into this cold. All you need to know is it's a Western with Kurt Russell and trust his beard. Right. <laughs> Anyone with that awesome of a beard is going to make an entertaining movie. There's a certain danger to that, though. Like... <laughs> And and we'll have to talk about it here soon because when you talk about hyper violence, oh yeah, yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to be able to recommend this to everyone. But yeah. you know, I emailed the director and just said, hey, you know, thanks for making this. I love when we can share films like this. You talked about Blue Ruin. I think Et's Machina was another film that you know it was nice to be able to share with people and say, here, right. go watch this film. So he he wrote back and just said, hey, thanks, you know, and thanks for spreading the word about my film. Yeah. So awesome. I, I like that we can still reach out and talk to these people. Yeah. They seem like real people and they're like, they like each other, they respect each Mm -hmm. other and they want to support each other. Just like the characters in the movie. Yeah. So, so who should go watch this film? Would you recommend it to your students? For example, I have a hard time recommending it for students. Always has to preface it with, if your parents let you watch R rated movies, this is something that'll trip you out because I can think of specific students that I have now 
that I wouldn't necessarily want to watch this movie. I think it would probably mess with their minds a little bit, their, their delicate psyches. I have older students also, so I'm able to mm-hmm, sort of, I don't know. Pick and choose which one. Yeah, I think so. As a, as a group in front of a class, I think I did mention this um, when we were talking about, in the in, we're doing a Bible as literature uh, unit right mm-hmm. now, and they were asking about the jawbone of the ass in the Samson story. How, how could that even be a weapon? I said, well, have you heard of the bone tomahawk? <laughs> and then I told them a little bit about this movie. So, um, Bone tomahawk, one of the coolest weapons in the last 20 years in a film? I, yeah, I would say it's up there. I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I want one. I want a prop from this film. Right. I, I want the bone tomahawk. All right, good luck. <laughs> you could make one, I suppose. I'm hoping. I keep an eye on some prop auction websites, so hopefully it'll go up there. It might be cheaper because it's a smaller film, but that that bone tomahawk, it's pretty awesome. Club, knife, machete. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, they, they had some pretty interesting... The, the troglodytes had these uh, strange weapons. You know, the arrowheads were uh, bird's beaks. Okay, yeah, because they really flare out. Yeah. Okay, that makes that's, sense. That's how uh, the expert was able to pick out the, the tribe or, or this like, oh, offshoot right. of this okay. tribe. Yeah, so. No, I like that. Yeah, there's, there's all those interesting little, neat little touches in the movie that, that again, it makes it, it makes it such a great experience. So, anything else we need to say about before we head into a spoiler section? I'm good. All right. We've got to spoil this thing, man. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. So, with respect to uh, subverting expectations, the dynamite never gets exploded. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think Zoller really likes that. I think he really loves the fact that you're expecting it. There's going to be a big explosion, or hero saves the day, that kind of deal. Oh, and you're in a Never cave. Happens. Like, you expect Kurt Russell to blow up the whole cave, like, bring down the side of the mountain. Oh, well, not only that, they give a cigar to the Bruder character, <laughs> and he says, I'll take out as many of them as I can. Yeah, but then he's holding a repeating rifle where you need two hands to shoot the thing. But he doesn't really have a chance anyway, because that's, I think, the first, that might be the first time we see the bone tomahawk. Maybe oh, I, in the coda at the beginning I, of the film. I, I thought he loses his hand to one. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but I, yeah, I mean, but there's, it, there's oh, the first guy shows up and boom. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'll take out as many as I can. And one. Then, yeah. He doesn't even, does he take out that guy? Well, he I'm fires. Sure. It, okay. It's hard to tell. Because all the troglodytes look the same. That's right. Um, so that was one of the one of the things that I kind of liked. You didn't have, you didn't really like that that much. You wanted to see these. Yeah, I, I think it's Chekhov's gun. If you're going to show me a stick of dynamite, that stick of dynamite better go boom. I wonder if they had another million dollars for production if we would have had a different ending. Well, I heard Zoller talking about it, and he said no. I, he he was like, I wanted I want people to be upset there. Oh, okay. Just because it is it's very dissatisfying for the characters to go this far and. It's obvious that you know, there's not many of them coming back. So if any of them come back at all, and, and it's just like, all right, well, this is another example of that. Okay. Because so. I know he had said he knew he couldn't afford horses for the whole 21-day shoot. <laughs> right. So he purposely wrote a scene where the horses get stolen. <laughs> so then, you know, he only has to have the horses for, what, maybe four or five days. Some of his 
writing process, he says he, he has to continually surprise himself, and that's how he writes when he writes movies and books. I'm really you went and ordered one of his books, right? A couple of them. I, I've ordered two. Uh, one of them's a murder mystery procedural, and the other one is a western. That's apparently this movie. Uh, cranked up to 10 <laughs> with the violence be, and the mayhem and the craziness because this movie is already a 10 no this this <laughs> apparently is like a one or a two for this guy's twisted mind so oh. in a lot of ways he also reminds me of chuck polinick the guy who wrote fight club oh yeah you, i you, can see that That's you're, you're not sure what he's going to come up with next another reason why fight club was such a great movie was because of the surprise i wanted to read brigands of rattleborge on mm-hmm. the blacklist but then you had to in order to be a member of the blacklist, you either have to be in the guild or submit one of your own screenplays. And uh, so I was I was going to write a screenplay last night so I could read <laughs> The Brigands of Rattleborge, but I didn't really <laughs> have enough time. You were going to write a whole screenplay yeah, one night. I didn't have enough time. The blacklist has had some great films come off of it. Juno, for example, was on mm-hmm. the blacklist for a couple of years. Balls out. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are not nearly as good. Last Witch Hunter that came out in theaters last weekend was on the blacklist for a couple of years. There was a reason that film wasn't made. Well, now maybe, maybe, but it could be that the the uh, when it became a studio film, that they changed things and they added things to it that might not have existed in the original screenplay. And again, tone is a problem in that right. film because it, it's a PG thirteen film that y- you feel definitely was originally an R on the page. That makes sense. This movie, um, I think it starts off as a hard R. I mean, that throat slit. <laughs> yeah. And then the dialogue where he's like, there's 16 arteries in the throat. <laughs> you know, you have to cut through all of them. <laughs> I think immediately you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be a different movie. And then the presentation of the monster or the creature, the, the, you know, the enemy, it, it takes a backseat. You don't really see it fully formed. Yeah. Which it, is, a, you know, that goes back to Jaws and Spielberg and the idea of keeping the monster hidden for a while. Did you think it was a werewolf at first? I didn't know what it was. It was making those weird sounds. It if, seemed... it, if it had been a werewolf, I would have been less intrigued by it, but it was, it was the middle of the day, so that makes it a little bit less likely that it's a werewolf. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was some supernatural a were, beast. A were-puma. At first, yes. Yeah, so I was very glad that when it became a, just a troglodyte. <laughs> right, and that I... <laughs> I liked the troglodytes. I like the I, I man. I might dress up as one for Halloween. I like the look of them. I like some of the ideas about them. I, I but there are that. That's where some of the movie was flawed for me. Oh, you mean their kung fu fighting style of one at a time against the good guys? Right. Instead of hey, we've got fifteen of us, two dozen maybe are in the film. Uh, I think she said a dozen. A dozen. Yeah. That she'd seen, but then they killed. Oh, I don't know. There's definitely I, not whatever. Two if they fought in mass, they would be a whole lot more effective. If we had twelve bone tomahawks right. being thrown at the same time instead of one at a time, or the fact they go out hunting with one bow and one arrow. <laughs> I think they might have multiple arrows. They just choose not to use them, and they they also choose not to use their arrow. They they shoot their arrows when they're out in the open, as opposed to like behind a tree or a bush or something. I think it's the statement is that they're just not really that bright. I mean, they live in a cave in the side of the hill that has a back entrance that someone with one leg can crawl into <laughs> and get the drop on them. So it's sort of like having a – it's like someone built a castle and they built a moat, but they only went halfway around it. <laughs> like having a, a half a moat. So I don't know. They weren't really realistic, and I think that they could have been. 
but then that you know whatever it's the movie is what it is so i'm not i i, I trust the filmmaker's decisions i just i i i don't know i could have i think you could have had as much um menace and fright and and gore without having <laughs> you know quite possibly the dumbest tribe that ever existed they're they're worse than the indians on f troop yeah but that's where i could figure out is this trying to have elements of like a screwball of comedy because patrick wilson keeps falling all over the place i know he has a broken leg (laughs) and he's only got one crutch but he's really clumsy and the other thing that uh bothered me was he's using the crutch wrong it's supposed to be under his other arm and i know this because i just uh, had foot surgery a month ago you can so understand it. he's using his crutch wrong. He, he's a bit of a fool himself. Would you have liked to have had your toe chopped off with a bone tomahawk? Would have I, been a lot easier. I was thinking like hedge clippers, pruning <laughs> shears. No, but the boat, like, if you could have like laid your foot up in the chalkboard over here in the tray. And bent all the other toes out yeah, of the way. And I throw a toe, <laughs> uh, bone tomahawk from across the room. That would have been pretty effective and cheaper. Dismemberment is something that appeals to me in movies. Last year... Uh, my indie find was Cheap Thrills, and that features dismemberment in one of the scenes. And so I thought that was one of the best scenes from last year. We need to revise year. our What We Look For in Movies list. You need to put that back in there. Dismemberment. <laughs> uh, some of the other, I mean, I, there was some excessive, excessive exposition in the movie where they just explained things away in the dialogue. But I also like the fact that there were things that were left ambiguous, just like... Open questions. So it pl- kind of plays with that balance. It's the yin and the yang of dialogue and exposition. So I think it's more yin than yang, though. I, I, uh, F- uh, Russell and uh, Fox both said that they, they didn't ad-lib any. They didn't have to. That everything was fully formed on the page, and it, it, it wouldn't have made any sense for them to ad-lib in this movie. No, and I love both their characters. I kind of wish they would come back as these characters in future films you have to do prequels or something no no just don't even acknowledge this film <laughs> okay like it's, a cartoon yeah kind of like a cartoon you know the next time it, it, they're like kenny every episode he comes back even though right. he's been killed on south park and and it's, it's a throwback to john wayne always is playing john wayne in every single western he's in well you were suggesting that you thought maybe matthew fox wasn't that bright or wasn't as great a uh, uh indian hunter as he says he was yeah, at first I thought, is he making up some of the stuff? His fancy white suit just didn't seem in keeping with the Wild West. But I also like then that my expectations are subverted. And I think that goes back to the director having watched a lot of Westerns and knowing what we're going to assume. Well, I think that there's something to the statement that he's not, he's maybe not the the best Indian hunter or like a great, you know, marksman or whatever. But there's really nothing about the Mexicans that come into the camp at night that would make anyone want to shoot them, except mm-hmm. he does. In the middle of a fairly normal conversation. And then he, he turns around and says, Larry, you don't, don't question my morals. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm the one that, uh, I'm protecting you from these guys. You don't know. You don't know if they were good or not. And, you know, they have a standoff there, which it's sort of true, but you can be a great Indian hunter or a great Mexican killer if you're going to shoot someone that's unarmed or shoot them mid-sentence. Yeah. You can kill 116 Indians if you sneak up on them. So. And he admits to not just killing uh, Indians on the warpath. Oh, know, yeah. Mighty, yeah, yeah, braves. And, and he's, he's consumed by revenge, but he's also consumed by honor. And that's the other thing about these, these, these four men. Like, there's, 
they never even really question whether or not a guy who had just broken his leg should be going five day, uh, you know, three day journey and across the desert to rescue his wife. I mean, it's his wife. There's no, there's not even question about it. But then Chicory, the old man, he's like, I'm going with you. There's no reason for me to stay here. I'm going with you. And there's no reason for those two guys to go on it. Like, could you see that happening today? No, in, in real life, or, or in a different yeah. Western, the John Wayne sheriff would have tossed the husband in the jail cell and locked him in there right. and said, this is for your own good. You'll thank me later. But they both know that there's no, there, there, there is no other option. Yeah, and that's They're what I like. They're going to go on this trip, and it's a one. Way, it's probably a one-way trip. This is an egoless film. You know, you have a star as big as Kurt Russell. He's willing to not have the limelight on him all the time, and he's willing to die in not the most noble of fashions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. he he has a flask stuck in his side. Oh, I mean, oh, I thought you mean the the very end of it. Yeah, I mean, the, he's not really protecting the girl. Patrick Wilson is the one that comes in and saves them. Yeah. If this was a Vin Diesel or uh, Vin Diesel in the Tom Western. Hanks or, or Brad Pitt or something, <laughs> they would have to have a bigger moment. Their, their right. hero arc and their death would have to be more heroic. Okay. You, instead of happening off screen. Yeah, instead of, here, we have four guys. They're all pitching in at various times, right. and they're much more equal across the playing field. The, the true hero and the woman that, that is the woman in the movie i think she's thematically important and she's also the one the voice of reason and sense and and her reaction to uh just chicory says well your husband's on his way she's like you idiots what are you gonna do you're gonna send my husband he's got no leg he's he's like bull with one less toe could you imagine because you just experienced this it's very difficult to walk on a toe that has just been operated on oh anytime you have bones that are being messed with could you imagine walking across the a desert well the number it, of times like, you hear his bone crack and splinter yeah. he's losing that leg yeah you know that happens as soon as they get back to town well how do they even get back to town that's the other thing this is odysseus after after the fall of troy the the iliad was only you know a small part of his story his story begins now they got to make it back across Indian territory with maybe some troglodytes still alive and after them. They leave the women alive, mm-hmm. um, which is another ambiguous part of the movie that I I, I kind of enjoyed. I, I don't know. In, a, in another Western, they would have just either shot them or tried to save them or take them with them or something. But no, nah, they just leave them there. Yeah. <laughs> Saving the bullets, I guess. I don't know. <sighs> it's a good movie. No, Anything I, else we need to spoil? Yeah. Like, I don't know. No, no I, I strongly recommend it if you've by chance listen to this whole podcast and you haven't watched the film go watch the movie it, oh, it's yeah. great it's available streaming on demand it's 6.99 on amazon similarly priced on itunes yep. it'll probably be on redbox in the next month or so I'm pretty sure it'll be a redbox pick of the week when I, that happens i, I hope in, in some strange way that this comes to the Hayes movie theater like Blue Ruin did and surprised me because I will definitely go see this in the movie theater. I will go too so it. they can sell two tickets. <laughs> no, anybody else who listens to this podcast, they should be going to it. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're within the sound of our voice, which is the entire world, you should come to North Norfolk, Virginia this weekend and watch History Boys, which is uh, going to be the subject of Laugh 94. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our sometimes co-hosts, the guy that did a lot of our Oscar shows last year, is uh, playing the headmaster of the 
the British know, boarding British school. school. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Boy f- school for boys or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, if you're not in the Norfolk community area. community theater. It's at the, yeah, well, sorry. It's at the Little Theater of Norfolk. Yeah. It, I don't know how many people are going to go based on this recommendation. But but if you're not in the Norfolk area and you want to be able to listen to our podcast, number 94, on the History Boys, you can rent the DVD, uh, which is the movie version of the play. And it stars the original cast from the London production. Excellent. So All right. We got some listener feedback. Ooh, I love listener feedback. Sandy G tells us how much she loves listening to the show. She says she loves it in her car with her husband. Apparently her husband listens too. Now we know Sandy G. We didn't know that her husband loved the Laugh Podcast too. She can't wait to listen to our uh, Martian episode 88 88 yeah we'll say it's somewhere in the archives uh so 86 there you go so uh thank you sandy g and we're listening we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say about our show on the martian we also got a twitter message from sam m who wants to know what we thought of the ridiculous six movie uh trailer adam sandler's new movie uh i did i wasn't able to write it back necessarily i, I mean I, I haven't watched the movie it looks fine. It looks like typical Adam Sandler type films, which everyone gives him a hard time about. But when he tried to become a dramatic actor back in the early aughts, everyone gave him a hard time about did he, trying did he to try really transform. hard. He did quite a few movies there: Punch Drunk Love, Spanglish, Spanglish, uh, Rain of Fire, or not Rain Over Me, Ra- Rain Over Me, not Rain of Fire. I actually, really like that movie. Yeah, he, <laughs> that's he, one of my hidden gems. Funny people a lot. Uh, was probably one of his best dramatic roles and probably it felt the most like he was playing himself and we got to really see what it's like to be a successful comedian who's not real happy with his life. Is Ridiculous 6 going to be released on Netflix and in theaters? Or just on Netflix? I believe just on Netflix. Maybe really, really limited so that way it's up for for awards awards consideration. consideration. They want to win a a Razzie. Is it uh, coming out in December? comes out in December. Huh. Uh, Maybe they think it's really good. We will see what happens. Right, this so is the first of six films he's doing with Netflix. All right. Well, there, there's our take on uh, Ridiculous 6, pre, pre-view of Ridiculous 6. So, Thank you, Sandy G and Sam M. And if anybody else wants to get in contact with us, give us some feedback, where do they go? There are a variety of ways. They can email us directly at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com. They can send us a tweet at thelaughpodcast. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. And you can always go to our website, thelaughpodcast.com. Then you can give us some feedback about Ridiculous 6 or uh, this movie that we just watched, whatever it was. Bone Tomahawk. (laughs) Bone Tomahawk. The Martian or any of our shows, we really appreciate it. So that Ridiculous 6 is a mix-up. Sort of like this movie of genres, mm-hmm. uh, Western horror, but Ridiculous Six is a Western uh, comedy. Comedy, possibly a Western and a not funny. Yeah, just like A Million Ways to Die in the West. You remember Albert from that movie? Yes, yes, I do. Remember his profession? Uh, something with sheep. He was a sheep farmer. But oh my God, please. I suck at sheep farming. Luis was right. I can't keep track of them. There was a sheep in the whorehouse last week. Just wandered in there. And when I went to pick it up, somehow it had made $20. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mr. Two Frames over there. I'm the L Trade. Pox at both of everybody. There be dragons. There's a section for uh, contacting the ship. <laughs> yeah, I'm so close. So close. Hubris. <laughs> uh, oh, Pride the... cometh before the fall. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's having a breakaway touchdown. Nice. And stumbling on the five. Fumbling. Fumbling on the two. Yeah. Rolls out the back of the end zone. Mm-hmm. He was like a 60-yard run. If they want to contact the show, they can email us directly <laughs> at the left pocket. Wow. All the way back to the beginning. Man. Where do I, you want to, you want to cut and paste? <laughs> no, I mean, do I want to cut and paste? No. Do I have to cut and paste? This is yes. going to be really, really messy. All right. Good luck. We're like, yeah, start from the beginning. We have a minute of go. content. I know. This is why it takes me four and a half hours. Do you want to start from the top? I can just delete this because right now you got nine minutes of crud to get through. That's probably good outtakes. <laughs>